Kia ora. Ko Minaline, tōku hōranga tērā. Ki te hapu ea. Ko Levi, Raua Asha, Aku Tamariki, ko Nat Ahau. So those of you who don't know me, I'm Nat. I'm part of the leadership team at King's Church. It's my wife Minnie sitting completely by herself, looking very sad. <laughs> and she's pregnant. We've got number three on the way, which is exciting. <laughs> and we've got two other kids, um, Levi and Asher, who are both boys, two and four, running around, probably running amok right now somewhere in the kids' work. Last week, Asher was over this corner, ran straight into the corner of a shelf and just hit the ground and was just silent. And I was like, oh, he's fine. He's not crying. Came around the corner and there's blood gushing from his head all down his face. Um, so that was fun. Luckily, we had Nurse Claire who just took over the situation and was super peaceful. Cool. So we're going to carry on our series um, this morning. We're kind of looking at our vision and values as a church. So what makes us tick, what defines us, what we feel like God has spoken to us about and really... Um, is like the engine behind us. If we were a car and you popped the hood, you'd be looking at what's under, underneath. That's kind of what these talks are about. And just to start this morning to kind of frame it, I just want to tell you a bit about uh, my journey or our journey and also the churches um, into this topic. So when Minnie and I got married, we decided we'd hang around Wellington for the summer and then we wanted to go and travel. Um, and part of that is because Minnie's South African, we wanted to see her family. I lived in the UK for a while. We wanted to go back and um, see my family. But really the reason we wanted to go was because we wanted to go to places around the world where God was doing more than we were seeing at home. So places where God was seeing more supernatural healing and people getting healed of all sorts of things. Um, the prophetic, hearing God's voice clearly and speaking that out to people. Seeing people added to the church. Seeing God's kingdom and peace and love extend in greater ways than I had seen. And we really wanted to spend some time. So we went. We went to a few different places. There were lots of places we could have gone but didn't have time to. But we went to see the miracles, really, the power of God um, on, a, on his people. So, and we saw that. We saw some amazing things. We even, we heard stories, but we prayed for people and saw people. I prayed for a lady who had like a tumor under her arm that she'd had for, under her bone, uh, muscle here, for about 15 years. Couldn't raise her arm above this high. We prayed. She felt lightning go down her arm and she had movement that she didn't have since she was a teenager. 15 years later, it was like, my eyes were just like, oh, well, this is how powerful God is and more. So we saw some incredible things, but really everywhere we went, God was saying this, it's about identity. It's about who you are, knowing God as your loving father, like we've just been singing, and about being his child. And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's boring. I don't want to care about that. It's just kind of dumb. I want to know, how do I see more people healed? How do I see people come to know Jesus? How do I see um, increased like, levels of prophetic? And God was like, no, 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 get it through your thick skull. What I'm trying to teach you is about knowing who you are. So at the same time God was telling us that, and I started listening and stopped being stubborn, um, God was speaking to other people too. So Pete, at that time, he picked up a book by a guy called Henry Nowen. It's about the, the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, which we're going to look at in a minute. He was reading that book and just kind of, crying and going, I feel like I've not seen this before, about how good it is to know God as my loving Father. It's not that it was a new thing, but it's like God was bringing it afresh. And at, that, at the exact same time as that, Matty P preached, probably in this room, I can't remember if we were here or the last place, he preached this amazing talk about being adopted into God's family. And it was like God was speaking about the same subject 
And it wasn't just the three of us. God started taking us as a church on a journey to understand this. And that song we sung, I Love Your Love, actually that was written by Jack. And that was like a response to all the things that God was teaching us about knowing his love and being secure as his children. And like I said, this is not a new thing. It's an old thing. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and he heard, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. With him, I'm delighted. That's what God said about him. Augustine said this, if the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, it would cry out like resounding waves of the sea, the Father loves you. And actually, it's not new to us as a family of churches either. One of the cornerstones of New Frontiers, which is this family we belong to, is about living in grace. It's about relating to God in grace. And Terry Virgo, who sort of fumbled his way or found his way into sort of starting a, a movement and, and planting churches around the place, God spoke to him about grace and knowing that, hey, we don't relate to God based on our actions, but based on his love. And really, grace and the Father heart of God are two sides of the same coin because our God is gracious, and that's the primary way he as a father relates to us is by his grace and his love, not about us earning it with him. So I want to look at that a bit today. It might be new to you, it might be old to you, but you know what? We all need to know more of this because it will transform our lives and our relationships and the way we, we do life. So I just want to pray that God would take this deeper for us as a people. Lord, we want to thank you that you're not distant and harsh, Lord, but you're right here and you've adopted us into your family. Lord, we just thank you that we are sons and daughters of you and your love is poured out on us, Lord. Just pray you come by your spirit and take this deeper in our hearts and reveal it to us afresh, Lord, that we would have joy in our, in our Christian walk, Lord, and we wouldn't be a drudge, Lord, but we would have happiness and peace with you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I want to look at the story of the prodigal son. We're not going to look at all of it, but we're going to focus on some parts of it to do with the older brother. But basically the crux of the story, for anyone who doesn't know it, is it's a story about two sons and a, and a father. And this is a really wealthy family. And these boys know when their father dies, they're going to get a ton of money. They're going to come into wealth and uh, it's going to be good. But the youngest son is impatient, and he says to his father, give me my share of the money right now, which basically is him saying, I wish you were dead, and I just want you for what you can give me. Now in that culture, any culture, but especially that one, is disrespectful. His father could have just beaten him and, and like thrown him out and just kind of, you know, that, that was, it was so offensive to say that to your dad. But do you know what his father said? He said, it's your choice. And he divided up the estate between them. The youngest son takes all that money and he goes off into a distant land. Again, an offensive thing in that culture, saying, family, my identity, my family, I don't care about you. I'm going to go and do my own thing. And he went and he just squandered all his wealth on partying and prostitutes and just wasted all his money. It was all good for a while until it ran out. And the money ran out and the friends ran out. And suddenly, he's hungry and desperate and all alone. And all he's got to eat is the food of pigs. So he thinks to himself, what am I doing here? My father's servants have enough food to eat. 
there might even be a chance that instead of dying here in this famine, because there was a famine in the land at the same time, what if I go back to my father's house? Maybe, just maybe, he'll make me into a servant in his family, and at least I won't starve to death. I'll have food to eat. So he slumps back home, his head down, full of shame, his clothes covered in dirt, and he's, brought just, he's made a laughingstock of himself, his father, and his family. But his father has been waiting on the porch for him. His father has been looking every day, thinking, I wonder if he's going to come home. And he sees this figure on the horizon and thinks, wow, he's, you know, he looks dejected, he looks dirty, but I'm pretty sure that's my son. And he gathers up his robes and he runs to meet his son. He embraces him, he kisses him. His son tries to start saying, Father, all the stuff, you know, trying to apologize. And he just wraps him in his loving arms and says, My son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. Quick, put the best robe on and put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger. We're going to have a party and celebrate because my lost son has come back. I just want to pause for a second there and just consider the response of the father. He should have just said, you're dead to me, which is what the son said back to him at the start of the story. But he doesn't respond that way. He responds in a loving, caring, and humble way. That's what our Father God is like. And that's what a lot of people don't understand about God. They expect harshness. They expect a stick over the head. They expect you to never do enough good for God to be pleased with you. Even in your worst moment, God is waiting for you to embrace you in his loving arms and say, welcome back, my daughter, my son. And actually, it's not just in our worst moments. All of us have lived in that kind of place. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're like that younger son who chose to take the amazing gifts that were given him, the life, the opportunities, the gifts, and we've said to God, stuff you, I'm going my own way. We've all done that. And you might think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not really that much. I'm not a bad person. Well, actually, we're all in the same boat. And the Bible says in Galatians 3 that there's a curse on us, a curse of doing things our own way. And actually, that curse looks like we're going to die hungry and alone and without God if we try and do it on our own strength and do things our own way. Actually, just like the younger son when he found out he was with the pigs and was like, what am I doing here? That's where we were at. <laughs> and it's like, we've got a choice. Do we stay there and do we die in eternity without the Father's love? Or do we go, I'm going to humble myself and come back to God and, accept and, and receive his acceptance and forgiveness of me? Really, that's what the cross of Jesus is all about. The cross is like the biggest moment in history where Father God showed how much he loves you and how much he loves the whole human race. Because Jesus died as a curse, as it says in Galatians that he, we have a curse. He became our curse for us and died and he hung on a tree. He was talking about the cross. The Father went, I love you so much that I'm going to send my own son to take your place, that you can come home to the family, you can get rid of the dirt and the shame and the rebellion and come back to my inheritance and my love and my acceptance. The cross really is the most, the clearest place where we see how much the Father loves us. 
And the cool thing about God is that he's always got his arms open on the porch. He's always waiting for people to say, I'm going to make my way back. Maybe, just maybe, God will forgive me. And he's like, of course I'm going to forgive you. Come home to my arms. I'll wrap them around you. I want to change your life. Give away your life, and I'll give you one that's worth something and has eternal purpose. And we're going to have an opportunity, if there's anyone here who thinks, man, I've got to do that today, then today is as good as any other day to say, hey, God, I want to come back to you. I want you to forgive me. I want to become part of your family. So the younger brother comes home. The father throws a party. There's feast. There's a feast. There's music. There's, there's dancing. And it's like the whole place, the whole house is erupted. Everyone is having a party. But there's one person missing from this party. The older brother is out in the fields working hard. And he hears the party and he finds out what's going on. And he is angry. He is so angry. And he refuses to come in. We read from, uh, this is in Luke 15, and in 28 onwards it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I've slaved for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. For the brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. The older brother is so angry at the happiness that's going on. He hates his brother and he resents his father for welcoming him home. He compares himself to his brother and says, look at everything I've done. Look at this mess of a person, and you're celebrating with him, and I get nothing. He complains and compares himself, and he says, I'm overlooked, and I'm unappreciated. That sounds familiar to my own heart sometimes, and familiar in the church, to be honest, at times. Here's the truth about this story is that it's not about one son who's lost who comes home. It's about two sons, that's four, two sons who are lost. One son is obviously lost. He goes out, he rebels, he goes to a far off place, he wastes all his money and he comes back with his tail between his legs. He's so obviously lost. But the older son is lost in the house of his father. He has everything if he wants it, but he is lost in his heart. He's resentful. He's, he's comparing himself. He's trying to earn it with his father. And he's got bitter towards his father. And there's a lot of lostness in the church. It's so obvious to say, oh, you know, this world needs God. It needs forgiveness. People need to come back to him. But when you look at people who, and I'm talking about my own heart here, who, who love God, I'm like, there's a lot of lostness in here. There's a lot of self-rejection. There's a lot of self-centeredness. There's a lot of bitterness towards God for not doing things my way and celebrating other people. And really what I want to do is learn from some of the things in the story about the older brother that would just help us move on to another degree of understanding how much we're loved by God and what does it mean to, to live a Christian life full of joy and peace and, and happiness with God. And yeah, it's not easy, 
where you can have joy instead of this kind of striving mentality that just leaves you exhausted and bitter towards God. So the first thing we can note from um, the older brother is that he was stuck in performance and competition. He compared himself to the younger brother and he talked about how I've earned this way. I've earned all this stuff. I've worked so hard and got nothing. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. I'm not a big fan of goats, but I think he's talking about having a party. He feels like the God, God has not given him the things he asked for. But we'll see that actually God says, your perspective's all wrong. I've given you everything. You just had to wake up to it. But when the son of yours had squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Basically what he's saying is, I've done so much for you. This boy, your son, has done nothing. I've earned my place to be a part of this family. And I am overlooked and unrewarded. This is actually the age-old battle of every Christian throughout history, is are you going to relate to God based on how good you are and your actions, or are you going to relate to Him based on His free, unmerited favor and love? That's the choice everybody has to make when it comes to God. But it's not just about getting saved. It's not just like, God, I come to the point where I can't save myself I've got sin in me. Even if I try my best and be really a good person, I've still got this dirt that needs to be washed away by Jesus on the cross. I think a lot of Christians understand that. We've had periods of time in history where that's been kind of shown to us really well. But it's not just about how you get saved. Actually, the deception of performance-based Christianity goes a lot deeper than that. It's how you relate to God from then on. It's how you walk with Him in your whole life. And it can creep into every part of Christian thinking. Many Christians, and this is including myself, have had times where it's like, I'm saved by grace. And then I try and work as hard as I can to try and make him happy with me when I could just turn around and say he's already happy with me and nothing I can do to, to earn that relationship. He says, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It's like, you can't get any more definite than that. God is always with you. His favor is with you. He loves you as a child. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't. So stop trying to scramble and scratch to get what you've already got. It's pointless. Pete said recently, he did another talk on our foundations. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, we need to repent, which means to change the way you think from God is happy to bless someone else or maybe me when I kind of sort my act out. You've got to change the way you think and God, God and think, God wants to pour out his spirit on me and pour out his love on me because I am a child and he favors me because of his love, not how well I've done. And we're going to have some time at the end just to soak in that truth and ask God to fill us with his spirit again and pour out more of his love on us. So how do you know if you're stuck in performance-based Christianity? How do you know if you're a bit like the older son and you quite, haven't quite fully understood what it means to be in the house as a, as a son or a daughter? Well, the big glaring obvious like bright light is this. You have no joy. I've had times like this where you're like, I have no joy in my life. And I go back to realizing, oh, it's because I've made it all about me trying to earn my way, trying to compare it against other people, trying to be on the treadmill on an escalator that's going backwards and I'm trying to run up and keep falling over. There's, there's no joy in that. 
The only joy you ever get in a life like that is when you're comparing yourself to other people and you're like, I'm doing better than them. And like, I have joy. But that lasts about three seconds, if at all. And it's like sand through your fingers and you're back to being like, oh, woe is me, I'm useless. And that's the state you stay in most of the time. Sometimes we, as Christians, we carry the banner of grace. We're like, we love grace. It's amazing. But then we expect ourselves and we expect other people to like run on the hamster wheel of working hard to make God happy with us. And we're like, gotta run, gotta run, gotta run. You know, hamsters, they do that. They're like, and they hop off and they're like, wow, this looks different. Same place. They're in the same place and they've got nowhere. But it keeps them exercised, I guess. Never had a hamster. I like them less than I like goats. Not that I, I'm not talking about eating them. <laughs> Sheesh! <laughs> Never eaten hamster. Okay. Digging a hole, let's move on. So the thing is, when you go on that hamster wheel, you expect other people to, two things happen. You either die of exhaustion or you get fed up with Christianity and fed up with the church and leave because it's just too hard and there's no joy involved. We have seen it happen so many times with people where they just they try really hard, they come to God, they're like, I'm so passionate about God, now I've got to tick the boxes, I've got to read my Bible like a million chapters a day, I've got to get all this done, I've got to look good, I've got to serve in every single area of the church, and they just get exhausted. And they go, stuff this, I can't do it anymore, I'm going to go and try and find my happiness somewhere else, because the church doesn't have it. Well, do you know what, this, this church has joy, I love being a part of it. Of course we need to grow in these things, but actually... Oh, it's refreshing being part of a community where it's like, hey, we're loved by God. And actually, we serve from a place that is from the favor of God, not for it. So you're like, I'm loved by God, therefore, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to use my strength to do things God's called me to, not to try and earn it with him, him on the hamster wheel, but because, hey, he loves me so much, and I want the whole world to know that love. And praise God, there are lots of other great churches that are like that too. Jesus said this, whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So get off the hamster wheel and try and do it in your own strength and just abide in Jesus. The more time you can spend just saying, God, please help me to know your love and just enjoy him and just rest. That Jesus says, you abide in me like that, you're going to bear fruit. Just enjoy him. So you also, we see from the older son that you can become a bit like him when you're resentful of other people's blessings and other people's achievements. Everything's a competition. So when you're winning, it's great. But when other people are doing better than you, you can't celebrate with them. When people are seeing your breakthrough or they're seeing the things happen that you want to do with your life and someone else gets it, often we can feel a sense of like letdown or jealousy um, rather than being able to celebrate with what's happening with them. So this is a bit like, well, I had, I had a really bad problem with being competitive and, and, and trying to compare myself to other people. And Maddie P and I, we're born a week apart, and we've been best friends for years. And we've, we like a lot of the same things. We do a lot of the same things. And so it's like, it was always kind of a competition, for me anyway, probably not for Matt. He's kind of a saint. Um, I'm kidding. We're all saints. So like snowboarding, it would be like, am I better than him? Am I, you know, kind of like, we'll be like, hey, that was a really good trick. Man, I want to do better than him. You know, it's all behind the scenes. I'm a Christian, so I know how to lie with the words that I use that don't really show my heart. 
So I can be like, that was really good. But in my heart, I'm like, I've got to be better than him. And then, you know, as we grow in leadership and in church, you just put a spiritual, slap a spiritual sticker on it. And it's like, who's growing in leadership more or who's speaking better? And it's toxic. If you live like this, if they do well, if Matty P is doing well, I feel down about myself. If I'm doing better than Matty P, I feel great about myself. And that's just pride anyway. That's a lose-lose situation. And God's really dealt with my heart a lot to not be competitive with the people around me, but to be able to celebrate genuinely and be like, their, their success is my success. Manny P's amazing gifting, and when things happen, when he's leading or in life and with his family, his success is my success. And I can celebrate with him because it's all about what God is doing. The older son compared himself to the younger, and he said, I've done all this for you, and he's done nothing. And he basically, he was like, how can you be rewarding him? It's just competitive thing. There's a good question for you that will relate to some of you. How do you react when the biggest or most successful church in town is doing well, when you see them succeed? The, what happens in your heart when you see other, other churches or other people succeed says more about your heart than it does about the things you don't agree with them, the style or the program or the way they do things. Actually, the more we open our hearts to see the blessings that other people and other churches have, the more that God entrusts us with more blessing and more unity and more connection. That's been a big part of my journey too. So we need to repent and keep repenting, which doesn't mean beat ourselves up about it. It means saying, God, I don't want to live like this. I just say it's a lie to try and earn your favor by comparing myself to others. I accept the truth that you love me based on the cross, based on your favor before I was even born. You chose me. Some of you will have heard this before, but it hit me really hard and hits me every time I hear it. Whether you raise the dead or take a nap, God loves you the same. Whether you're doing the most amazing feats for God and seeing just churches planted and businesses started that are helping the poor and, and you know, your Billy Graham died this week. He preached life to 210 million people. If you're Billy Graham and you're seeing all this amazing stuff happen, or you're just lazy and you take a nap, God's love for you is the same. You've got to just take that in. Does that mean our actions don't matter? Of course not. We want to please God with our actions. I think he loves naps too <laughs> at the right time. We want to please God with our actions, but they don't define how much he loves us. And it's really, you've got to get that in your heart. So another thing we see from the older son is this. We, ha we have a tendency, he had a tendency, you need to be seen, you need to be heard, you need to be appreciated by people. The older son stayed outside the party. There is no way the father would have not noticed his absence because he is the other son in the family. He's right in there. He was making a statement to his father. I'm going to stay out here because I want you to feel my anger. I want you to feel how hurt I am. I want you to feel my feelings. It's about me. Listen to his words again in light of that. Look, all these years I've slaved for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. It's a me mentality. It's about me, me, me. I need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to be respected. It's not about us. It's about the Father and what He is doing. And if He wants to bless other people, our job is to come to the party and celebrate and say, God, that's amazing. You are moving your kingdom forward on the earth. 
In our church, we have different words that we want to describe the culture of what we're going for. One of those words is honor. We want to be an honoring people. We want to honor God first and foremost, and we want to honor the gifts and, and just the intrinsic value on the people around us. But even honoring can, be, can get turned on its head if it's about me, me, me. Say, well, no one honored me when I stepped out. No one put me out the front and celebrated me, and no, one, no one's celebrating me or choosing me for things. It's, it's, gross. it's a gross way of thinking that, that I've been guilty of. It's not the heart who celebrates what God is doing and knows he's, he's a child, he's loved. I don't have to earn anything with him. And the truth is, it's all about him, but he never overlooks you. <laughs> it's amazing. I heard, I, actually I saw this, this is just so illustrates it well. I was at a birthday party for a two-year-old, three-year-old, I can't remember, it was a few years ago now. And um, there was a child at the party who, whose birthday it was a few weeks before. And so he'd been through all that, at the party it was great. At this party, the one he was at, suddenly we're in a circle and the cake is being brought out from behind him, this child who's a guest at the party, and it's saying, happy birthday, and the cake comes in. I'm looking at his face and he just lights up like, <gasps> because he thinks it's about him. Because two weeks ago, it was his party, and he's only two or three. All he knows is, when you sing happy birthday, it's all about me. And I'm about to get presents and cake, and it's all about me. I can't remember, and I don't think I saw what happened when he realized, oh, it's about my friend. It's not about me this time. But put yourself in that situation when you think, oh, it's going to be about me, and it's about someone else. It's about what God is doing somewhere else with someone. Do you react like, oh, I'm leaving the party because it's not about me? Or are you able to go, Yes, it's your birthday. Celebrate you. See what God is doing and honor that on another person. Because actually, these are quite practical ways of going, hey, I've got somewhere to grow in understanding God as Father. These are practical outworkings of it that we can go, God, help me with that. Just, another, just an aside, we don't really see it in this story, but those who understand that God is loving and a Father, they're not afraid to give things a go and fail. So I'm not talking about moral failure. I'm talking about stepping out into the unknown and not knowing what's going to happen. If you, performance -based, if you have a performance-based view of Christianity, you don't step out. Because if you fail, you're out of here. You're, just, you're, you're nowhere. You, you've written yourself off before you've even started because you can't fail. You're a perfectionist. But actually, people who know the security and peace of God as Father can give things a go and be like, well, I don't even know how it's going to turn out. I could fail, I could succeed. So recently, I was on a plane for work going to Christchurch, and I was talking to a guy, just, what are you doing, where are you going? He's off to a stag do. I was going down there for work. And then I felt God speak to me and say, hey, he's got an issue. He's turned his back on a key relationship, and there's pain there, or I can't remember the exact words that God said. So I just stepped out. I was like, hey, this might sound strange, but I'm trying to hear from God. I don't always get it right, but this is what I heard. And it started a conversation where he explained that he had broken up with his partner through some really awful stuff that had happened. It was long term. He, he just got down in the dumps, suicidal thoughts, all sorts of stuff came out. And he was telling a complete stranger this on the plane. Um, and we, I got to just say to him, hey, you know, God's got a plan for your life. He loves you. I didn't get to pray for him right then, but I did pray for him afterwards. And just bring some hope into the situation. And that was really cool because it was like I stepped out. I was like, this might be right or wrong. And God used it to, to bless him. Now, that's great. But the other day, I, well, a little while ago, I stepped out with a work colleague 
Same kind of thing, except work with colleagues. For me, that's like the scarier, scariest place. Everybody has your own scariest thing. Well, for me, it's you know with the person I sit next to every day kind of thing. This was in a, a previous job that I was in earlier last year. And I said to her, hey, I just this might sound strange, but I just feel like God said, do you have a, a long-term back condition from an accident? She was like, no, I don't. And there's, there's no real room to be like, well, is it maybe this or maybe that? I was like, no, you're just wrong. <laughs> and you know what I've always said to people when they get things wrong? I'm always like, do you know what? God is applauding you for stepping out. God loves that. God is not going, oh, you failed. Useless. God is applauding you and saying, well done, my good and faithful child. You stepped out. You got it wrong, but oh, I favor you. Now, I've always said that to people, but that was the first time I felt it myself where I just literally felt the favor of God fall on me as I turned back to my computer screen and carried on working. Or we chatted for a bit, and it was fine. It wasn't awkward. But I felt the favor of God, and I was like, man, I'd have failed more often if I feel like this. <laughs> but you know, I couldn't have done that before as much because it's like, if you're into, I've got to work my way with God, you can't fail. But actually, if you know that it's about Him and not about you, you can step out and see what happens. And I'll just encourage you, where are you at with stepping out and, and just whatever courage looks like for you. Now, I think it does include that kind of thing, stepping out with like prophetic words, but there's a whole range of stuff that needs courage and we can just step out in. Are you afraid to do that? Because I am on a daily basis. But as we understand God's love more, his perfect love drives out fear and we get to go for it. And it's, it's exciting. But really with all of this stuff, it's about allowing the love of God to flood our lives and change our thinking when it comes to who we are and who He is. Everything you do, everything you say in life comes from a real belief of what's in here. Jesus said, out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not actually out of the overflow of your theology that your mouth speaks or what you kind of say you believe. There's a deeper belief of who do you really think you are and your words come out of that and your actions come out of that. That's where I need to, more and more we need to go, yeah, God, I believe that you're my father, but I need more of your love. I need you to pour out your love on my life by your spirit so that it changes this belief in here about who you are and who I am and it will transform the way I relate to those around me and the way I live my life. Because actually what the world is desperate for is for a church that really knows who they are and really knows that they're loved. Too often people they encounter a church that is resentful or isn't really sure where they stand with God, what's going to happen if you stood in front of them, uh, full of kind of com competition and bitterness. If they encounter a church like that, they're not going to see a God of love. <laughs> we want to get filled up with his love. So when people encounter us, they see acceptance and joy and, and radical obedience that's fun and lighthearted. If um, the younger son had come home in the story, what if he hadn't seen the father first? What if he'd seen the older brother first? Who knows? It could have been like Cain and Abel. He could have killed him. He was pretty angry. But at the very least, he would have encountered a hostility and an anger. He didn't encounter the older brother. Luckily, in the story, he encountered the father first. We don't want people to encounter the older brother when they meet us. We want them to encounter the father. Can we just stand together? I'd love to just pray over us.
You know, the good news is that God has got us on a journey of knowing how much he loves us. And I would encourage you, make it, make it the priority. Make it a journey that you're happy to be on. Just say every day, God, please, I need to know more of your love. I need to know what it is to be a child. I'm going to do that just now for a moment. Father God, we just want to thank you that we don't, we don't live in a place of having to strive to make you happy with us. <laughs> Lord, we can't earn what we already have for free, Lord, and you just poured out your favor and your grace upon us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross where you showed that so amazingly to us, Lord. We thank, thank you, Lord, that in like in Zephaniah, it says that you quiet us with your love. And you sing over us. You sing songs over us, songs of love. Lord, I just want to pray that um, take a, just a couple of minutes right now that you would just show us afresh that song of love that you sing over us, Lord Jesus. I just encourage you just to kind of open up your heart. Wherever you're at, you might think you've got all this locked down. Well, you can repent of pride if you like. <laughs> say, Lord, I need more of this. And if you feel like there's something specific that's been highlighted to your heart from God, then just say, Lord, help me to, to not act like a slave or an orphan, but to know that I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. from striving and exhaustion. Teach us how to abide in your love, Lord Jesus.